We are going to talk about death in today's episode. If you have recently experienced a loss or are sensitive when it comes to conversations on death, please feel free to skip this one. For me, today's episode is important because I don't think we talk about death enough, especially the technical and logistical part of death, like how does one's economic status affect the conditions in which they die? Do gender identities play a role in how people receive end-of-life care? Can we choose the memories that we want to leave behind for our loved ones? And how does social media become an archive of one's life after passing? With the support of the Graham Foundation for Advanced Studies in the Fine Arts, we speak to artist and professor of contemporary art at University of Oxford, Urit Ashery, about death in the digital age. I am Vaishnavi Shukla and this is Architecture of Center, a podcast where we highlight contemporary discourses that shape the built environment but do not occupy the center stage in our daily lives. We speak to radical designers, thinkers and change makers who are deeply engaged in redefining the way we live and interact with the world around us. As long as you can hear me, I think we're good to start. Okay, I can hear you. Okay. So, Arid, I was thinking about revisiting Genesis, and before we get into the details of your project and your research uh, and your practice, I thought we could start with revisiting Genesis, and if you can talk about the origins, the ideas, uh, the expression that you've explored in revisiting Genesis. And I think what struck to me, especially while watching it, was the very possibility of all of it coming true. It was almost like black mirror-ish. So if you just want to get us started with with that project. The original uh, revisiting Genesis, I guess it was an kind of intersection of a number of things that took place uh, and kind of collided together into this. So uh, one of them was that I reached the age of 50 and I was just looking through my uh, boxes in my office at old photographs and I picked 10 photographs that I kind of uh, was drawn to. And I wrote a short section about each one, just as a way for myself, uh, just as a way of sort of um, reflecting on, on, on my life around that time and, and kind of getting to that kind of particular age. And, um, and as I started to write about it, I started to think about memory and I started to think about life cycles and I started to understand that even though I thought that I kind of invent the wheel every time in my practice, actually, it's not the case. It's actually quite cyclical and quite interconnected and that there is a trajectory in the practice and everything is connected. So I just felt more integrated in myself and that idea I later was echoed in uh, when I was uh, later on when I conceived of the work and I started to talk to doctors and nurses, particularly people who are working with dementia, the idea of showing pictures or showing or playing music to patients or people who experience issues with memory and with dementia, that kind of narrative, narrating your life storytelling really helped the sense of integration. So I started to think about memory as an identity and, and the role that memory plays in how, yeah, how we perceive ourselves. So that, that was one thing. Another thing was that my brother died in 2008 and I guess it took me all these years later to be able to 
you, you know, like people say that every seven years we kind of like enter another spiritual phase in our life. And, and I guess it was seven years later that I started to think about his death in relation to making work about death, really, and how he died. And because it affected me, because after he died, I found myself for years living in that preparedness. So I was always preparing to die. So I've cleaned everything. Mm. I've left kind of notes to people, like um, not a will as such, but I started to really think about what we leave behind and what does that mean to people, kind of loved one around us when that happened. Another thing was that I started to notice on the internet, um, on Facebook, people starting to um, use the medium of Facebook to talk mm. about their death particularly the artist Alexis Hunter, recorded her death on right till the end, right, right till the end, I think right until maybe 24 hours or 48 hours before she died, her time at the hospice and memorialising also her practice in relation to that. That affected me quite deeply. Um, she's quite an underrecognized feminist practitioner. That affected me a lot. Another friend um, recorded Ian White, uh, was dying at the time, kind of an amazing writer, thinker, curator in London. But also Facebook itself started to do these pop-ups where they remind you of people. And then as it happened, one of them was somebody who died. Mm. And I started to think around that, what happens when you've been called to think of somebody in the middle of your day and that person actually died. So I started to think mm. of Facebook as a kind of graveyard and... Um, and started to read about that and there was a lot of writing around ideas around sort of exactly that the, the sort of the death industry in, in in facebook so all all these things started to come together it was also um i made this work in 2016 and it was also kind of the era of the kind of web series so it was suddenly people started to move away from watching TV into watching various kind of web series as entertainment on the laptops and that. So I was mm. curious what artists might do with that genre of the web series, taking away from entertainment into something probably slightly a bit perhaps heavier. And it, it's true that at some point I did look at Black Mirror. I was only interested in one episode where... I think someone's boyfriend died and come back. So I was interested in how they portray him. Ah, it was it was in this house where they had like a life-sized version of that person reliving as a real person. Is it that one? Yeah. And it was yeah. interesting because they didn't take it too far. He literally, the actor looked like him, himself. They made him slightly paler, but it was him. But there was only one thing, something to do with, I think there was like a glass or something that went through his hand. There's a tiny bit of special effect, but it was very minimal. And for me, that made it more powerful because they didn't try to ghost him or to make any special effect. It literally was the same actor, the same person, her boyfriend. But but we know that he's a kind of, um, a, some kind of a digital ghost or something. So that kind of made me realize that I'm not going to make something that visually is going to look like uh, futuristic in that sense of using special effects. That I was more interested in people's feelings and more interested in pe people's kind of emotions around how we die and how our death is then being memorialized online mm. and, and how we become vir virtual beings. On the afterlife is on the internet. 
to mm. portray it more from a humanistic perspective rather than kind of try to portray sort of technology and the digital world in this kind of high production way because uh, because production because technology changes all the time I, I didn't want the work to feel really dated in like three years time be like people oh yeah in 2016 this is how it looked but now it's completely different I wanted mm. to stay with those things that don't change so much which is how we feel about things so that was the origin and then from then on um it's a very long answer to your question but it's I'm just giving the whole overview from from then on I went to, to write the script it was 12 episodes so it's it's, a, it's quite a, an ambitious piece so it, in, a, in a sense it's 12 short films um portraying the life of an artist who is possibly dying or disappearing or withdrawing a friend's trying to help her through looking at series of slideshows over her work, trying to bring her back to life through that. And that was combined with interviews with real life, people with real life, uh, life-limiting conditions. So people who ha- have things like uh, cystic fibrosis or cancer or brain numerism, d- different conditions and how that's affect their lives, but particularly how they thinking of death and archiving their lives in kind of digital archiving and ways of posthumous ways of keeping in touch with the living. So that's the overview of the project, I guess. So I'll be, I'll be very honest and um, open in sharing this. So two days ago, my best friend lost her brother and uh, had a massive cardiac arrest and we were at the hospital and he was very young and unfortunately he did pass away but it really made me think about what you're talking about in terms of the memories that you leave people with right and all these avenues in terms of how digital media becomes an almost archive of that person's life and because I had just finished watching revisiting Genesis at a couple of days before that it it made me think about, you know, the question of authorship when it comes to preparing or storing that memory or that digital archive as what you call the slideshow in, in Revisiting Genesis as something that a person who is receiving end-of-life care has the power and the authorship to, to curate a certain kind of archive or to select the memories that they would leave behind versus... Um, in the format of a eulogy where somebody who's not had any time to do that, somebody who's had an accidental death, uh, you actually, the author is somebody else. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member who's curating the whole different set of memories that, you know, they present as what they remember of this person in the absence of a certain kind of archive. And I've never really thought about this as an um, artistic project of sorts, but I've been thinking about about that question of authorship and its relationship to, to memory or even end-of-life care. And I would love to know what you think about the origin of such an archive or, or whatever we call it, even if that's a Facebook page or an Instagram page, or which might not be made with a specific purpose of leaving behind memories. I mean, something as intentional as you mentioned, writing letters to to people because you're preparing to leave, you know, and you want to address that. But otherwise, if 
in case of like an accidental death or something it's just whatever digital footprint you've already left ends up becoming their archive and and platforms do aid in in creating those right because facebook i remember i've deleted facebook but there there was an option of selecting a legacy contact so in in case you pass away facebook allowed you to nominate somebody who would who would become your legacy contact what do you, what do you think about just this this whole idea of authorship and of memory and 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 just the emergence of these archives yeah this well well this is a great question and this is a kind of a lot of the whole because the area of digital death it's it's kind of generally this area has been called been termed uh, digital death and and it, it's a new area so relatively new so um an emergent area so there have been so many kind of discussions in terms of kind of ethically and uh, legally around all that so, so there, there, there is a number of things so yeah so for example with Facebook there's a whole sort of debate particularly around the very um, painful area of teenage suicide where parents want access to the the Facebook of their child who passed away whether that should be allowed or not so, so they can find out what happened, you know, for example. Different people with different opinions call for different legislation of either protecting families in the sense of allowing access to, allowing access, like, like legacy contacts, allowing access to people's life after they passed away. And then the other way where people wanting to protect people's privacy and saying, no, nobody should be able to, to do that. And of course, within that, there, there are issues because we do leave that behind. So in a sense, if... Traditionally, you'd have like material things, and some of us are lucky enough to have those. Even if it's a laptop, or even if it's like what, let's say, yeah, people pass away. What 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 do you do with that laptop? What do you, or some people have, you know, property or what you leave behind? Really, what really leave behind? And especially creative professionals who, a lot of people, their property is intellectual and digital, but the, the there could be a lot of it of valuable, emotionally valuable, psychologically valuable intellectually valuable um, content and and what happens to that so i'd say in response i'd say that there have been and there are a lot of debates around that also um, not so much in relation to death but just generally it's we're entering this kind of new phase now where children who were portrayed on social media are now starting to sue the parents because now they reach the age of 18 they're starting to sue the parents to who did that without without permission, without consent. Because once you do that, when you start documenting your kind of child's everyday life, obviously that content just stays forever. So what what happens with that? So all all those kind of ethical questions, I think, quite urgent and quite debatable in in different ways. And obviously there are darker sides to it in different ways when people want to find out what happened to people. Or let's say maybe were murdered by somebody who was very close to them. Or, for example, I read at the time when I was researching a few articles about a woman who lost her partner, her husband, and she felt uncomfortable with everything that was online remaining of him mm. and wanted to kind of kind of clean it up, sort of have a closure, and hired a company, I think, Swedish company, that kind of promised her that they can do that, they can literally clean the remains of, of that person for virtually and uh she described that process and how long it took and how difficult it is to actually mm. do that in reality you know that there are some books been written about kind of exactly that about 
how we should be conscious of our kind of yeah, what do they call it the, the the kind of the crumbs that we leave that almost like um showing the way to something you know we we're leaving so much so many traces that we might want to be more private about again all that is just constantly evolving and our kind of right to privacy has been massively compromised uh more and more so, so, so the discussions are kind of changing all the time clearly you know with kind of data harvesting and all that um so yeah, it, I think it, the sort of global level questions of of authorship, but on on a kind of more kind of domestic level, let's say, within this work, what I found out for myself and from talking to people researching it is that particularly for minorities, our control of legacy is very important. So we might kind of say, oh, I can't be bothered to kind of archive all my mm. materials and. I'm, uh, that's why there's a part in the in the one of the episode where Genesis, the artist, the main character, is saying it's a fictional character, kind of saying, "Oh, my archive is a mess. It's like a mess." She's not uh. saying it. Her friends are saying they're looking at her archive and it's like they're a mess. But, but in certain ways, because certain minority discourses are perhaps less heard, less documented, there's a kind of a particular knowledge that comes with certain discourses that is not within the dominant culture. But also in the area of how we die, how we live and how we die, that that, that there is an importance in archiving. And mm. a good case study of that was Barbara Hammer, the artist Barbara Hammer, who died quite recently. And they they beautifully wrote and spoke about that need for archiving and uh, particularly for artists of the legacy. And, and yeah, particularly of minorities and, and outsiders and people where the 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 stories are less heard. Um, so for me, that was my kind of. I think I came into making the work kind of more cynically, looking at archiving more cynically, and coming out of the other end, I just thought actually those kind of self curatorial or externally curatorial projects of archiving uh, people's artist legacies are are important. Also, what came up uh, through filming and through pe- talking to people who experience life-limiting conditions is that perhaps you don't have the energy to do that when you feel like this you don't you just you're not thinking oh, I'm going to spend a day archiving you know you have other you kind of want to do maybe other things we also spoke about that kind of practical solutions ways of creative ways of archiving what is an archive yeah what is the slideshow what is mm. a legacy and some of it could be as simple as telling a friend something, telling, you know, like one of the nurses that I spoke to, I spoke to a few experts and she was a cancer nurse and she said that she encountered this phenomena where uh, people who thought, she thought might die any minute didn't and then they'll hold her hand and tell her in a few hours some either secrets or something important narratives from their lives and then they could peacefully die, they allow themselves to die. So I think that needs to kind of have somebody witnessing your narrative or narratives um, is, is clearly very important in whatever way. But another aspect to, to the project was that uh, in this emergent area is a lot of companies capitalising on, and, and that was the point of it, that of the critique of capitalism was that while capitalism kind of extract from us when we're alive it also now extracts from us when we die because they they give you this different companies give you different kind of uh, memorialization options like you can leave those kind of um 
videos to your loved one and they'll send it to them every year let's say 15 years suddenly you'll get a video from you know somebody close to you who died telling you like happy birthday or something or those kind of augmented reality ar a hybrid um tombstone where you could go to a grave and kind of log into someone's let's call it slideshow or whatever online to enhance the um the experience of because it's saying that people's visiting kind of uh, cemeteries is declining so it's to kind of enhance that experience for example or they're kind of yeah those kind of um, legacy managers where they'll kind of take the password of everything and just keep keep your legacy basically so that or, or the other side of it like like i explained the example somebody who wants to actually get rid of everything as a legacy clean it up like clean the digital footprint clean the digital footprint that's also something that other companies capitalize on so i was kind of quite disturbed by that kind of notion of capitalizing on us not only when we're alive also when you're dead yeah and something else that you know also struck me or it was um because you mentioned uh capitalization of people's identities and memories and also you spoke about uh, the minorities here i'm going to pull out something that you you mentioned uh, in the exhibition guidebook for misbehaving bodies and i think it was very profound so you you said and i quote you said death is an exaggerated form of life so if you're poor and you become ill you will become poorer then you go on to say the economy of marginality people experience over their lives becomes heightened in death and uh, i thought that this correlation of social status of a person to what their possible condition could be when they are ill and how that minority or that marginality becomes more pronounced when they are dying i think was was a very astute observation can you talk a little bit about this the school of thought ah uh, yeah so so very very true all that happened pre covid but covid exactly showed us that exactly demonstrated kind of that injustice or or, or that reality and and at the time yeah when i when i was sort of researching for the work and talking to various people doctor nurses uh, digital death experts um people with illnesses um red books um it it became clear that certain bodies die in different conditions and that and it became clear to me that it's exactly that that how you how and that's how I tackled the 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 book that came out of this work as well the most publication book um how we die is how we live only more so and so for example especially people talk a lot about um death and loneliness and who is around you when you die and and all that mm. and 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 i think the idea of dying now is becoming more of an art form if you like thinking uh, at least in the west um people think about it um perhaps more performatively more creatively can can you elaborate that as a performance or um... yeah so there's a lot more kind of um for example in north america i read in canada for example there's a lot of this sort of um quite performative ways of taking pictures for with the dead which have their origin in the kind of original photography or 
the origin of ideas around magic and around kind of seance and that photographing the dead and different uh, ecologically there are different ways of thinking of burial kind of ecological burials are more ecologically kind of um, beneficial to the land so I think people starting to think around death and dying in in, in, in slightly more expanded ways. And, or for example, I read in uh, Vice magazine that in, I think, in Korea, there's this whole genre of people who um, perform the death for, let, let's say, they, they pay money, they go to this kind of, it's like a workshop. And in that mm. workshop, it's like you pretend that you're dying, like tomorrow, let's say. So you go through all the ritual of writing goodbye letters to everybody and then you're going into a coffin uh, and there is no there's a hole really there is oxygen yeah 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 if you go into vice you can access it and the benefit of that that they said that the benefit of that was that it was almost like a life boost so after six months afterwards people had much more life force more chi more energy like they appreciated life again so i think we, we really i mean people always done that but I think death became something more of a, of a taboo in the modern capitalist world. And I think people are now starting to really see it more as a continuum. So, okay, we'll, we'll leave, but then also we don't, sometimes we just die, but sometimes dying itself is, is, a, is a process, you know? So how, how do I do that? And so, so, yeah, loneliness is profound, especially I talked to a lot of nurses about that and, and and you see that so if people for whatever reason, um, let's say through immigration or exile, um, found themselves living a lonely life, when they the, when they were dying and dead, that became very exaggerated, because the, nobody came to the hospital to see them or there was nobody in the funeral or, so the, these things become quite acute. Um, same with poverty. You know, if you you're poor anyway. Let's say you're dying, you can't work anymore, you collect debts, you can't pay for your funeral, you know, like people come in every way. Issues of marginality uh, become exaggerated, either psychologically or financially or through the law. Or like, for example, with the LGBTQI plus community, if you're not, uh, let's say, legally married to somebody and you die, where does that leave you in terms of inheritance? Where does that leave you in terms of hospital visits? Um, who's got priorities? That's also uh, varies from country to country. So the, all those kind of inheritance law very much can be very kind of um, gendered, gendered as well. And and again, for women, there, there are other issues that come with that kind of ideas of dying and death because the, in, the, in certain societies and periods of history, women wouldn't inherit you know they were not allowed to inherit anything these all these areas are the ones that i have been thinking about Mm, i want to connect this directly to misbehaving bodies because uh i thought that that exhibition that included your work and also joe spencer's work and how she had documented her journey through cancer and the treatment and everything that she experienced in the process of uh of that sickness i think was a very interesting uh, juxtaposition how one is kind of archiving the process and one who is talking about the ideas of archiving what what were some of the other threads that you thought were emerging out of that exhibition between your work and joe's work yeah again that's a really really good question i guess for me 
my encounter with her work was when I was a student in the early 90s. Uh, I did my BA in fine art in Sheffield at the north of England and I came across her work and I even found um, a sketchbook with quotes from her work um, that I had at the time. So when we were put together in a show, it was quite like amazing feeling for me because of that history and and that kind of prompted me to look for those sketchbook and and find all this kind of stuff that I took from her and I think at the time as a young art student I <laughs> I had like an argument with her in the sketchbook where she talked about illness and and I remember my response I I kind of wrote in response to that on in my sketchbook that illness is not a binary that that it's a continuum and spectrum and all that and so I guess weirdly I had a dialogue with her and her practice and I found her influential at the time in the way that I guess she dealt with what I've always been interested in which is narrating one's identity Mm. and how she's done that through mainly photography and within the exhibition I think the the point of interest was probably the transgenerational dialogue and how, I guess, with my work, issues of technology became a lot more, played a bigger part than when she was alive and made work. So that was one thing. The threads, I guess, were that we both, I mean, I'm actually just thinking about it through one of the reviews, the Guardian reviews, because she actually touched on that question. So she talked about how we both a bit kind of what she said, a bit like shameless, like we not feel shame to or guilt to talk about death or to talk about difficult issues or things that are kind of not like a dirty or kind of unpleasant or we're unapologetic, I think that's the word, like unapologetic in her in the approach. I think she said that we both um don't look at death and illness as a kind of something heroic or something that you're meant to do politely or nicely. And I think that's really, really important um, because I think maybe more in Christian societies, which I don't come from, but I think there is a lot of kind of sense around, um, at least in the West, around this idea of dying politely, dying nicely, kind of not kind of um, making too much noise around it or screaming or arguing or, you know, just doing it in a dignified way and... Um, David Voronovich, who was um, an artist who died from AIDS, was talking about that. He said that he didn't want to die politely. He wanted to die with rage. He wanted to shout and scream and, yeah, not be polite about it. So I guess that's another... Perhaps, I guess we both occupy certain outsiderish positions in some ways in our practices because of all of that and the imagery that we use... The preoccupation itself with illness uh, that is quite going quite deep in both cases, and I think the welcome um, collection, the, the the institution was positively surprised by. Uh, I mean, the exhibition was eight months. It was so long, and it was so busy. And the didn't the thing with a subject like this, people just won't come. Who wants to come to an exhibition about death, dying, and illness? But actually, there was so much appetite for it, and people spent hours in the space and like they'll take a rest and then they'll because I had those seats where you could literally like sleep you know you could like it's very Mm. important to me that people are comfortable and I had these huge teddy bears that people were cuddling and like falling asleep in and blankets and so people could um 
literally spend a long time with the work and, and kind of in depth, both both works. Architecturally, the space was, we, we thought a lot about those relationships and we ended up using a kind of perforated fabric. So my work was shown a lot in those kind of tent-like structures, but the fabric was perforated so you could see Joe's, Spencer's work through my sort of tent structure so that architecturally the works were divided but kind of um, perforated so, so not kind of softly divided so that was a, a nice touch I think as well to the exhibition we both had our names so I had my name in the exhibition in a kind of in a sense like handwritten in a, in a very very large copper um, copper plate cutout that was hanging a bit like a massive kind of uh, jewellery and hers was a bit more like the Hollywood sign kind of designing the show in a way that made connections I think we both had our timeline kind of um, I guess our legacy represented in in a way there kind of chronologically um, I had a piece there that was also um, participatory where um i asked people the question was do you consider yourself healthy and people responded and they responded in those kind of um anonymous little piece of paper and put into boxes uh which later were performed anonymously by actors uh but those some of the answers that people mm. gave were influenced by joe spencer's presence in the room and her work and how people felt about her work and how her work made them made them think about illness as well, and um, also a critique of the medical profession, and how they kind of infantilized her and in, or dominated her in different ways, and so that was sort of um, and I guess my critique was more towards the, the those kind of um, industries that capitalized on people who are dying. So I guess there was also uh, institutional critique for both of us in the work. I have it in my notes as well. I, you've said you said one of the aims of the exhibition was to complicate the binary between health and sickness, and to think of these terms as sliding scale rather than absolute. As our closing question, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the is the next possible scenario when it comes to thinking about death, thinking about illness, thinking about maybe I'll just call the episode on. Uh, death in the digital age but uh, where do you think this is this is heading it's hard to predict but as, as far as we can predict anything i think in terms of technology and automation and ai and all, all that we're probably moving towards more this idea of avatars more the ideas of data harvesting where um the creation of posthumously kind of afterlife avatar of ones will become the norm so so the idea that for the live loved ones you could still have a conversation with somebody after they die with the avatar is probably proliferate the same as we've seen with celebrity culture. So I think it that that will probably see that. I think laws around like you were saying about authorships, privacy in terms of legacy and uh uh, the virtual world will have to be formalized. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Particularly I think around consensual images around children's um, presence on uh, non-consensual kind of uh, appearance of presence of people on including children and and animals um, on social media for example I think the performativity and ritual sense of death were like theme-based funerals and that will grow more the, the sort of 
technologically hybrid forms of um, memorialization, um, whether it's through, whether it's ashes, using of ashes, whether it's, it's ecological barriers, burials, whether it's, um, you know, uh, gravestones will develop. So, yeah, I think it's, again, it's, it's just like life, uh, the, the presence of technology and, and, and various technological intelligences will become more apparent as it as it is in in life yeah uh thank you thank you for this conversation or i think i was really looking forward to this and uh this is something that i i really want to talk about because we we talk about health and we talk about medicine and we talk about care but we don't talk about death as as often so thank you so much thank you so much for your brilliant engagement and question Special thanks to Ayushi Thakur for the research and design support and Kahansha for the background score. You can follow us on Instagram at arcofcenter and reach out to us through our website arcofcenter.com that is A-R-C-H-O-F-F-C-E-N-T-R-E and thanks for listening.